0: It's Easter. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful thing. We want to read to you this morning from Mark, the 15th chapter. Now, this is the day Jesus is uh, being crucified, that Friday. It says in verse 33, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in verse 37 we read, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now for the disciples of Christ, this had to be the most hopeless moment of their life. You have to understand that for the disciples of Jesus, his closest disciples, for them to follow him was complete buy-in they had totally put everything on jesus you know there's a lot of people who you know follow jesus from the edges and kind of stick their toes in once in a while type thing but then there are those who as we all should who are totally committed to the cause of christ these guys had left everything they'd sold everything they'd sacrificed everything they were completely identified with jesus because they believed jesus to be the messiah which certainly he is and uh They expected him to come as the conquering Messiah, which he will someday when he returns. Next time he comes, he's not coming in a manger. He's coming back kicking butt and taking names. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be spectacular. But the Bible also talked about him coming very humbly and suffering. They were focused more on the latter. And they missed the fact that Jesus would be the suffering Messiah, even though he told them. That's what he was going to do. He told them several times, look, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me. And then I will be raised on the third day. And it was like talking to a wall. It's like they never heard him. They were totally shocked when it happened. But I guess in all fairness to them, we're all that way. The Bible tells all of us, hey, life is hard. And then when life is hard, we're surprised. How did this happen? I don't know. You know, we all kind So we can't just slam the disciples. But even though Jesus told them, they were shocked. When it happened, so here they are. He gets arrested, kind of a big deal. Peter's following from the outside. They're all kind of checking out. Some of the disciples actually were there at the foot of the cross. You know, even when he was still breathing on that cross, as horrible as all that was, they still held out hope. In fact, you can read where they said that some were saying when he cries out like this, "Look, look God's going to come and save. God's going to come and save him." God's gonna come and, and save him. Cause surely now God's going to show up. I mean, it's awful as this. Now surely now God will show up. There was still hope, and then Jesus took his last breath, <sighs> and now all hope was gone. They were stunned. They did not expect this. They were amazed that this happened. They all went back totally disheartened and without hope now Satan of course was grinning from ear to ear like a Cheshire cat couldn't have been happier he thought this was a big win for him see the Bible says that Satan had no idea what was going on the Bible tells us if if Satan would have known that Jesus would be crucified then raised from the dead and Christianity would spread throughout the earth he would have never messed with him but he was ignorant he thought he had a big win he loves it when people get depressed here there's disciples who are all full of faith are just Aah. and he's happy. Satan wants to fill people with a sense of hopelessness. And you can tell you're in a state of hopelessness when you think like this. It's too late. It's too far gone. Nothing more can be done. You see, once a person has been convinced that there's nothing more that can be done, all hope leaves and what moves in is despair, emptiness, and deep depression, a sense of profound hopelessness, and a state of hopelessness is a terrible place to be, but make no mistake, Satan is desperately trying to push you into a state of hopelessness, now the Bible teaches us that we should never lose hope, that we should always live in the encouragement of hope, you can read it throughout the Old Testament, Psalm 9 encourages people, look, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Don't lose heart. Proverbs 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Psalm 43, he's talking to himself. He says, why my soul are you so downcast? What's the matter? Snap out of it. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. There's a living hope. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Why, Pastor, why should I wait? Because there's still hope. Ecclesiastes 9 says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. As long as you're still breathing. The Old Testament said, You have hope. I love, he goes on to say, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. <laughs> At least the dog's alive. life you're still breathing. There's breath in your lungs. You still have hope. The message of the Old Testament is as long as you're still breathing, you have hope. But the message of Easter is even if you stop breathing, you have hope. <laughs> Hallelujah. Even death cannot rob us of hope. The only way you get to hope is when you make a decision to step away from hope and into hopelessness. And just as in all areas of faith, a decision must be made to live in hope or dwell in despair. Despair does not just happen. A lot of people think, oh, it just happened. I don't know how I got so depressed. No, no, no. You make a choice. At some point, you decide it's too late. It's gone too far. There's nothing else that can be done. Nothing will change. And you step out of hope into despair and make no question about it. It is a decision that you make. It's just like there's light and dark. Just like there's light and dark, there's hope and despair. You're either in one or the other. There is no middle ground. If you think your situation is too late, it's gone too far. It's too late for me. I'm too old. I miss my chance in life. My marriage is too far gone. My kids are too possessed of the devil. <laughs> Which may be, but I don't know. But I mean, it's too bad. It's gone so far, pastor. You don't think you're making a choice, but you are making a choice when you talk like that. You are choosing to step away from hope and into hopelessness. You are stepping into despair Hope is a state of faith the message in the resurrection of Jesus is that it's never too late It's never too bad and we are never abandoned. Hope is a state of faith. Despair is a state of unbelief Now God has always gone out of his way to show people that it's never too late In fact, he oftentimes puts people in situations where it gets worse before it gets better just to show us It's never too late we read about Abraham, great man of faith, Abraham, the father of faith. His name was Abram. God changed it to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. A very respectful thing you could say to yourself in that culture. He had no children, but God gave him hope, changed his name. Your name is Abraham, father of a multitude. He'd come into town, people would say, what's your name? Abraham. Wow, how many kids you got? I'm working on that. I'm working on that. I am working on this. i do not think this guy knows what Abraham means. You know what I'm saying? But he waited. And the Bible says in Romans 4, 18, against all hope. Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed. What do you mean against all hope? He was an old man. See, it's one thing when God comes to you. As a young man says, you will have Many offspring. Well, yes, of course. I'm a man. That's what I do. We offspring. We spring around. That's what we do. We're very springy. (laughs) And you're full of hope. And then you get older. Pretty soon you're like me on the verge of geezerhood. (laughs) Then you enter geezerhood. Then you come out the other side of geezerhood. This was Abraham. The guy is pushing a hundred years old. He's not exactly candidate material for father of the year. He's not even a Viagra candidate at this point. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> The man's a hundred years old. I mean, the ship has sailed. You know what I'm talking about? God intentionally waited, 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 waited until it seemed like there was no... But the Bible says against hope, Abraham believed in hope. He refused to let go. God will not fail me. The Bible calls him the father of faith. And in the midst of his faith, this miracle occurs and his wife gets pregnant. And everybody was, wow! This is very impressive. Abraham in hope. Believed, so became the father of nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. He was told your offspring would be like the stars of the heaven. Without weakening in his faith, he he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He wasn't stupid, he knew it. He saw, he's past geezerhood. Nothing's working, he's an old man. He wasn't stupid, because only a crazy person is not aware of their circumstances. Right? He said, I'm crazy to be in these circumstances. No, you're crazy when you're not aware that you're in the circumstances, right? Crazy people don't know where they're at. He knew where he was at. He wasn't crazy. He knew what his body was. He knew the station, but in the midst of seemingly hopelessness, he hung on to hope. He did not waver. And God brought the miracle. So since he was about 100 years old, and then the Sarah's womb was also dead, he knew he was not a stupid man. He knows how these things work, but stood in faith. Moses, same situation with Moses. This is throughout the Bible. Now Moses, now we all know the story of Moses. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, I'm not letting them go. He says, all right, then you're going to have a plague. Plague comes. Pharaoh says, I'm still not letting them go. Another plague comes. I'm still not. I mean, how dumb is this Pharaoh? Pharaoh. Plague after plague. I'll tell you what. You fill my house with frogs. I'm out of there. (laughs) But this cat wouldn't let up. Plague after plague after plague after plague. And finally, (laughs) so okay, go, go. And finally, this nation of slaves steps into freedom. After 400 years of slavery, they step out free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. And they didn't go out poor. The Bible says they raided the joint before they left. They took everything. All the gold, all the silver, all the big screen TVs. They took it all. Egyptians were freaked out. But after all those plagues, who could deal with it? And the Bible says they are headed toward freedom. It's all good. Now, we know they wound up by the Red Sea trapped. But what a lot of people don't understand is... They weren't headed for the Red Sea. They were headed for freedom. <laughs> it's all good. I'm out of here, right? And then God tells them, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Okay, and then it says here, Exodus 14. Then the Lord says to Moses, okay, tell the Israelites to, t- is to turn back. What? Hello, we're out of here. No, 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 no. Turn them around. And then encamp near P Harith, whatever, between Migdal and the... It's it's south of Madison. (laughs) Okay? And and they're to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. In other words, God purposely tells them, Okay, turn around, go back over here, and you're going to be in a trap. You're going to put your back to the sea. And you're going to be sitting ducks. And I'm going to bait Pharaoh. He does this on purpose. He says, I will then, uh, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the desert, in the land in confusion, hummed in by the desert. Look at these dummies. They don't even know where they're going. And remember, God did this to them. God! Mr. Zappamon with a bunch of plagues! Now God intentionally sticks them in a situation where they're sitting ducks! You ever feel like that? Oh God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? Ah That's where you need to stand in hope, you see. Don't make the decision to step out of hopeless hope into hopelessness. It's too late, it's too far, it's too gone. He intentionally puts them in a bad situation. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. They did what you know, God says turn around, okay, turn around. I get it with the frogs. So now, Pharaoh looks and says, Look at these morons. They're stuck. They're stuck. They don't even know where they're going. Let's go get them. They got my big screen TV. (laughs) So, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and the Egyptians, there they are, marching after them. And they freak. They were terrified and cried to the Lord. (laughs) And then they turn and he starts chewing out Moses. You moron. What are you doing? They said to Moses, was it because there's no graves in Egypt? You brought us into the desert to die? What have we done to you to deserve you bringing us out out of Egypt? It's all your fault. And of course, we know the story. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With a wall of water on their right and on their left. And as you keep reading, the Egyptians came and said... Well, if they can go across, we can go across too. So they start driving their chariots across sound effects. (laughs) And then all of a sudden Moses goes, See ya. And all the water caves in they all took a bath. Wiped them all out. God was glorified. God did this intentionally. Why? To show them. Hey, it's never too late. They were convinced it was too late intentionally put him in a situation where it made things worse. Just to prove it's never too late. We see this again and again in the Bible. The account of Gideon. (laughs) I love the account of Gideon. Now when you read it, in the beginning, Gideon is a coward. He's freaking out. He's hiding in the basement because the Midianites are in town. And they're kicking butt and taking names. And he's afraid. He's a scared little girl. He's at his most humiliating moment in life. Just... And the Bible says an angel appeared to him and said, You are a mighty warrior. And Gideon goes, I am a girly man. And he says, "No, you're a mighty warrior. And God starts to fill him with hope. And he's filled with faith. God says, All right. Get an army together. We're going to kick the butts of the Midianites. So he sends out the cry across the land. 32,000 men gather for battle. <laughs> Menly men. Now they're still greatly outnumbered. They're up against a massive army in the tens of thousands. But they've got 32,000 men. God is with us. We can do this. And we read. Judges, the 7th chapter, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Excuse me? I don't have enough men. I got 32,000 against tens of thousands. God says, no, you got too many. He is why would he say that? He says, I, I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or or you'll boast against me. My own strength has saved me. See, sometimes the reason God lets you put into just awful circumstances where it seems like everything's going wrong, where you feel, oh, I can't do it anymore on my own. Hello. That's where you're supposed to be. Well, you get to the point. You can't fix it. Pastor, I can't fix it anymore. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate. Pastor, there's nothing I can do about it. Yes. Perfect. That's where you're supposed to be. <laughs> well, that hurts. Yeah. But don't give up hope. Don't step out of hope into hopelessness. Don't think it's too late. It's too far. There's nothing else that can be done. You stand in hope. You see, you know, 32,000 men, you guys are going to win. you think, ah, we did this. I got too many guys. So he tells Gideon this. He says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now this is the ultimate manly man moment in every movie. The guys are about to go against overwhelming odds in a man movie. It's not a chick flick. It's a manly movie. Okay. And we always see the scene where the leader says to them, all right, guys. Anybody have any second thoughts? Turn back now. The camera always turns to all the men. All their faces. No man ever turns back. A man never turns back in that scenario. Even if you're scared to death. On the outside, you're going, I'm a man. Inside you're thinking, I want to go home. I can't. I'm freaking out. But you don't show anybody that. Because we're men. Some of somebody's that's what we do. I was listening to that tape of those guys on that flight where the terrorists took over and remember they said let's roll all those guys got together don't tell me these guys were not scared they were scared to death and all these men joined together and they went and they fought these guys they all died in the end but when a man is challenged with if you're afraid turn back You don't turn back. You're a man. We're men. So Gideon turns to the guy and says, hey, anybody who's afraid, you can turn back now. And the Bible says, so 20,000 men left. (laughs) Whoa, where are you going? Clearly these men had never seen a Sylvester Stallone movie. Because you don't do that. He's a bunch of girly guys, a bunch of wusses. Now, that's bad. When you stand in front of 32,000 men and say, anybody, you know, a little nervous, go home, and 22,000 go, (laughs) see ya, and they leave. (laughs) This this is a little discouraging. It's a little frustrating. It feels like there is no hope. He pulls it together. Well, I got 10,000 guys. We'll go into battle with 10,000 men. God is with us. It will be glorious. And we read in verse 4 but the Lord said to Gideon there are still too many men <laughs> you're killing me here what do you mean there's too many men and God says this take them down to the water and I'll thin them out there for you I don't want you to thin anything out we're pretty thin already okay we're weight watchers thin right now we this is too thin and as you read God thins him out and he's left with 300 guys and tells the rest of them to go home. (laughs) This is, seems like there's no hope. Who put him in that situation? God. 300 guys go to battle. Now, any of you guys see the movie 300? It's a cool movie, huh? Cutting off heads, killing people. What's not to love? And even those guys were faced with the question. If you want to leave, now's your chance to leave. So you always see these in guy movies. No man ever leaves. It's not a manly thing to do. It's based on a true story. These 300 men held off this army. They all died. Died in the movie, died in real life. But they slowed up the army long enough that they were able to rally a much larger army and they finally defeated the Persians and pushed them back in a great moment in the history of man but they all died Gideon's 300 this is the movie that we should have seen Gideon's 300 won they defeated an entire army and did not take a single casualty it is one of the greatest military victories in the history of mankind So that's almost impossible. That's the point. Because with God, all things are possible. With God, we never lose hope. Indeed, Jesus' disciples must have been really filled with profound despair that weekend when they watched their master die. But then we read Luke 24. On the first day of the week, this is after Jesus had been crucified, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And then he reminds them what he had told them. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Remember, I told you, Jesus told them many times this was going to happen. They never listened. They never heard. They were shocked. Just like you are shocked. We are shocked. When bad things come our way, we oh, what's going on? Even though the Bible warns us, we would be tested in our faith. And it says, then they remembered his words. We go on to read how Jesus shows up. He starts to reveal himself to his disciples. He walks into the room. The guys are all there. Everybody except Thomas. They are freaking out. This is incredible. He's alive. Holy cow. They're talking to him. They're touching him. He's there. Finally, he leaves. Thomas shows up. Thomas! Thomas, the Lord's alive! You know what he said? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Now, stop thinking. think. These are his closest friends in the world. There is no reason in the world they would lie to him. If one guy said it, he might be a little crazy. Two or three guys, loco en su cabezas. Okay, they're a little crazy. But when everybody says, look, he was just here. And he says, I don't believe it. You see, When you step into hopelessness, faith will leave you. When you think, it's too late, I'm too old, there's nothing more that can be done. My situation's so bad, my finances are so bad, my marriage is so awful, it's too late. The minute you think like that, you've stepped out of hope into despair. God could show up in the flesh 10 minutes before you walk in the door and you still won't believe it. That's the danger of hopelessness. Thomas said, unless I put my finger into his hands where the nails were, I'll never believe. Suddenly Jesus Jesus shows up. He says, here, put in your fingers. And Thomas falls and says, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you believe now. He said, blessed are those who never see and still believe. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. This is more real to us in faith than those guys who were there. This is an incredible story. What a fabulous thing. We live in divine hope. On that Easter morning when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it was as if God was saying to the world, see, up to this point, as long as you're still breathing, there's hope. God saying, "Nah, even if you quit breathing, there's hope. It's never over for us. It is that ne- We win. We win. Christians should be the happiest, most deliriously content and happy people on the face of the earth. In fact, if you look at people of true faith, you'll see that all the time. You got someone who's really walking with God, there is a grin stuck on their face, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. People say, man, how can you still smile? <laughs> I got hope. Now I have to understand, the word hope has been perverted. Words tend to change over time. You know, it used to be that cool was was cold. Now it's cool. It's very cool. Hey, that's very cool. It used to be bad was bad, but now it's good. Whoa, that's very bad. It's all confusing, okay? The same with, with the word hope. Hope has turned into the word wish. People say, is such and such going to happen? Oh, I, I hope so. What they're saying is, I I wish, knock on wood. I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in ghosts. Wizard of Oz, think about it. Okay. (laughs) This is not hope. The word hope, if you look at the word in the dictionary, it's actually described as, it has, it's described as this. To desire with expectation of obtaining it. You have the desire, you're filled with hope because you know you're getting it. It's like when you, Put in for a refund on your taxes. You are now filled with hope. That's true hope. Do you have it yet? No. Are you going to get it? Yes. You've done this many times. You file the tax. Like some of you breakneck speed. File your taxes as quick as you can. to Get that money back. Right? Because as soon as you file. Man, some of y'all spending the money. The minute you're filing that. The minute you're filing that form. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy that. yee Because you are filled with hope. That's what hope really means. It's not wishing. (laughs) It's been filled with confidence. I know it's coming. And it brings great joy. Let me give you an analogy. In closing. You know, you read about these guys who win these huge lotteries. Some of them hundreds of millions of dollars. Recently, someone won hundreds. A couple of guys won hundreds and hundreds of Millions of dollars. I know some of y'all bought tickets trying to get in on that deal. (laughs) Personally, I wish one of you had won. It (laughs) would be nice to pay off this joint. You know what I'm talking about? Praise God, all right? Now, when does a lottery winner be filled? What moment are they filled with inexpressible joy? When they get the money? Not really. In fact, a lot of them will tell you when they get the money... They are stressed out of their gourds. Because what am I going to do with all this money? And how am I going to protect myself with all this money? And suddenly you have relatives raising from the dead showing up. You know. Hey, Bob, I thought you were dead. I was, but I heard you won the lottery. You know. I mean, everybody shows up. You know what I'm talking about? These, these cats are stressed out. Everything's coming. No, 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 no. It's not when they get the money. When they're filled with joy is when they realize they won. They're very happy. Now, have have any of their circumstances actually changed at that point? No. If they still, if they still got bills, they still got bills. If their kids are irritating, they still irritate them. If they lost their job, they're still unemployed. Nothing has changed. The moment they realize it, nothing has changed. Their circumstances are exactly the same as they were two seconds ago. But now they are filled with joy <laughs> because they've won. That's faith, you see. As a Christian, we're filled with joy. Why? <laughs> we win. We have the winning ticket. It's fabulous. Does your life stink? Yes, it does. does. It's awful. It's awful. It's fabulous. Why are you so happy? I won! That's the message of Easter this morning. It's never too late. It's never too far gone. We always win. But you have to make the choice. I'm going to stay in hope. I will not step into hopelessness. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this day, this glorious day. 2,000 years ago when you shook the heavens and the earth and raised Jesus from the dead, the Christ, the son of the living God. Showing forever that nothing is impossible with you. Lord, help us even in the midst of our trials, our tests, our persecutions, our frustrations in life. Help us, Lord, never to step away from hope. Because with God, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.